Section 46 of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 2, Chapter 3, Progress of Scientific Chemistry in France, Part 3. The theory of combustion advanced by Dr. Hook in 1665 in his Micrographia approaches still nearer to that of Lavoisier than the theory of Ray, and indeed, so far as he has explained it, the coincidence is exact. According to Hook, there exists in common air a certain substance which is like, if not the very same, with that which is fixed in saltpetre. This substance has the property of dissolving all combustibles, but only when air temperature is sufficiently raised. The solution takes place with such rapidity that it occasions fire, which in his opinion is mere motion. The dissolved substance may be in the state of air, or coagulated in a liquid or solid form. The quantity of this solvent in a given bulk of air is incomparably less than in the same bulk of saltpetre, hence the reason why a combustible continues burning but a short time in a given bulk of air. The solvent is soon saturated, and then, of course, the combustion is at an end. This explains why combustion requires a constant supply of fresh air, and why it is promoted by forcing in air with bellows. Hooke promised to develop this theory at greater length in a subsequent work, but he never fulfilled his promise. Though in his Lampus, published about twelve years afterwards, he gives a beautiful chemical explanation of flame, founded on the very same theory. From the very general terms in which Hooke expresses himself, we cannot judge correctly of the extent of his knowledge. This theory, so far as it goes, coincides exactly with our present notions on the subject. His solvent is oxygen gas, which constitutes one-fifth part of the volume of the air, but exists in much greater quantity in saltpetre. It combines with the burning body, and the compound formed may either be a gas, a liquid, or a solid, according to the nature of the body subjected to combustion. Lavoisier nowhere alludes to this theory of Hooke, nor gives the least hint that he had ever heard of it. This is the more surprising, because Hooke was a man of great celebrity, and his micrographia, as containing the original figures and descriptions of many natural objects, is well known, not merely in Great Britain, but on the continent. At the same time, it must be recollected that Hooke's theory is supported by no evidence, that it is a mere assertion, and that nobody adopted it. Even then, if we were to admit that Lavoisier was acquainted with this theory, it would derogate very little from his merit, which consisted in investigating the phenomena of combustion and calcination, and in showing that oxygen became a constituent of the burnt and calcined bodies. About ten years after the publication of the Micrographia, Dr. Mayow of Oxford published his essays, in the first of which, De Sal Nitro et Spiritu Nitro Aero, he obviously adopts Dr. Hooke's theory of combustion, and he applies it with great ingenuity to explain the nature of respiration. Dr. Mayow's book had been forgotten when the attention of men of science was attracted to it by Dr. Beddoes. 
Dr. Yeats of Bedford published a very interesting work on the merits of Mayow in 1798. It will be admitted at once by every person who takes the trouble of perusing Mayow's tract that he was not satisfied with mere theory, but proved by actual experiment that air was absorbed during combustion and altered during respiration. He has given figures of his apparatus, and they are very much of the same nature with those afterwards made use of by Lavoisier. It would be wrong, therefore, to deprive Mayow of the reputation to which he is entitled for his ingeniously contrived and well-executed experiments. It must be admitted that he proved both the absorption of air during combustion and respiration, but even this does not take much from the fair fame of Lavoisier. The analysis of air and the discovery of oxygen gas really diminish the analogy between the theories of Mayow and Lavoisier, or at any rate the full investigation of the subject and the generalization of it belong exclusively to Lavoisier. Attempts were made by the other French chemists about the beginning of the revolution to associate themselves with Lavoisier as equally entitled with himself to the merit of antiphlogistic theory but Lavoisier himself has disclaimed the partnership. Some years before his death, he had formed the plan of collecting together all his papers relating to the antiphlogistic theory and publishing them in one work, but his death interrupted the project. However, his widow afterwards published the first two volumes of the book, which were complete at the time of his death. In one of these volumes, Lavoisier claims for himself the exclusive discovery of the cause of the augmentation of weight, which bodies undergo during combustion and calcination. He informs us that a set of experiments, which he made in 1772, upon the different kinds of air which are disengaged in effervescence, and a great number of other chemical operations discovered to him demonstratively the cause of the augmentation of weight which metals experience when exposed to heat. I was young, says he. I had newly entered the lists of science. I was desirous of fame, and I thought it necessary to take some steps to secure to myself the property of my discovery. At that time there existed a habitual correspondence between the men of science of France and those of England. There was a kind of rivality between the two nations, which gave importance to new experiments, and which sometimes was the cause that the writers of one or the other of the nations disputed the discovery with the real author. Consequently, I thought it proper to deposit on the 1st of November, 1772, the following note in the hands of the secretary of the academy. This note was opened on the 1st of May following, and mention of these circumstances marked at the top of the note. It was in the following terms. About eight days ago I discovered that sulfur in burning far from losing augments in weight. That is to say that from one pound of sulfur, much more than one pound of vitriolic acid is obtained, without reckoning the humidity of the air. Phosphorus presents the same phenomenon. This augmentation of weight arises from a great quantity of air, which becomes fixed during the combustion, and which combines with the vapors. This discovery, which I confirmed by experiments which I regard as decisive, led me to think that what is observed in the combustion of sulfur and phosphorus might likewise take place with respect to all the bodies which augment in weight by combustion and calcination, 
and I was persuaded that the augmentation of weight in the calces of metals proceeded from the same cause. The experiment fully confirmed my conjectures. I operated the reduction of litharge in closed vessels with Hale's apparatus, and I discovered that at the moment of the passage of the calx into the metallic state, there was a disengagement of air in considerable quantity, and that this air formed a volume at least one thousand times greater than that of the litharge employed, as this discovery appears to me one of the most interesting which has been made since Stahl. I thought it expedient to secure to myself the property by depositing the present note in the hands of the secretary of the academy to remain secret till the period when I shall publish my experiments. Lavoisier, Paris, November eleventh, seventeen seventy two. This note leaves no doubt that Lavoisier had conceived his theory and confirmed it by experiment at least as early as November seventeen seventy two but at that time the nature of air and the existence of oxygen were unknown the theory therefore as he understood it at that time was precisely the same as that of john ray it was not till the end of seventeen seventy four that his views became more precise and that he was aware that oxygen is the portion of the air which unites with bodies during combustion and calcination nothing can be more evident from the whole history of the academy and of the french chemists during this eventful period for the progress of the science that none of them participated in the views of lavoisier or had the least intention of giving up the phlogistic theory it was not till seventeen eighty five after all the difficulties had been removed by the two great discoveries of mr cavendish that berthollet declared himself a convert to the lavoisierian opinions this was soon followed by others and within a very few years almost all the chemists and men of science in france enlisted themselves on the same side lavoisier's objection then to the phrase la chimie francaise is not without reason the term lavoisierian chemistry should undoubtedly be substituted for it the term la chimie francaise was introduced by fourcroix was Fourcroix anxious to clothe himself with the reputation of Lavoisier, and had this any connection with the violent death of that illustrious man? The first set of experiments which Lavoisier published on his peculiar views was entitled A Memoir on the Calcination of Tin in Close Vessels, and on the Cause of the Increase of Weight which the Metal Acquires During This Process. It appeared in the Memoirs of the Academy for 1774. In this paper he gives an account of several experiments which he had made on the calcination of tin in glass retorts hermetically sealed. He put a quantity of tin, about half a pound, into a glass retort, sometimes of a larger and sometimes of a smaller size, and then drew out the beak into a capillary tube. The retort was now placed upon the sand bath and heated till the tin just melted. The extremity of the capillary beak of the retort was now fused so as to seal it hermetically. The object of this heating was to prevent the retort from bursting by the expansion of the air during the process. The retort with its contents was now carefully weighed and the weight noted. It was put again on the sand bath and kept melted till the process of calcination refused to advance any further. 
He observed that if the retort was small, the calcination always stopped sooner than it did if the retort was large, or in other words, the quantity of tin calcined was always proportional to the size of the retort. After the process was finished, the retort, still hermetically sealed, was again weighed, and was always found to have the same weight exactly as at first. The beak of the retort was now broken off, and a quantity of air entered with a hissing noise. The increase in weight was now noted. It was obviously owing to the air that had rushed in. The weight of the air that had been at first driven out by the fusion of the tin had been noted, and it was now found that a considerably greater quantity had entered than had been driven out at first. In some experiments, as much as 10.06 grains, in others 9.87 grains, and in some less than this, when the size of the retort was small. The tin in the retort was mostly unaltered but a portion of it had been converted into a black powder, weighing in some cases above two ounces. Now it was found in all cases that the weight of the tin had increased, and the increase in weight was always exactly equal to the diminution of weight which the air in the retort had undergone, measured by the quantity of new air which rushed in when the beak of the retort was broken minus the air that had been driven out when the tin was originally melted before the retort was hermetically sealed. Thus Lavoisier proved by the first experiments that when tin is calcined in close vessels, a portion of the air of the vessel disappears, and that the tin increases in weight just as much as is equivalent to the loss of weight which the air has sustained. He therefore inferred that this portion of air had united with the tin, and that calx of tin is a compound of tin and air. In this first paper there is nothing said about oxygen, nor any allusion to lead to the suspicion that air is a compound of different elastic fluids. These, therefore, were probably the experiments to which Lavoisier alludes in the note, which he lodged with the secretary of the academy in November 1772. He mentions toward the end of the memoir that he had made similar experiments with lead, but he does not communicate any of the numerical results, probably because the results were not so striking as those with tin. The heat necessary to melt lead is so high that satisfactory experiments on its calcination could not be easily made in a glass retort. Lavoisier's next memoir appeared in the Memoirs of the Academy for 1775, which were published in 1778. It is entitled, On the Nature of the Principle which Combines with the Metals During Their Calcination, and which Augments Their Weight. He observes that when the metallic calces are reduced to the metallic state, it is found necessary to heat them along with charcoal. In such cases, a quantity of carbonic acid gas is driven off, which he assures us is the charcoal united to the elastic fluid contained in the calx. He tried to reduce the calx of iron by means of burning glasses, while placed under large glass receivers standing over mercury. But as the gas thus evolved was mixed with a great deal of common air which was necessarily left in the receiver, he was unable to determine its nature. This induced him to have recourse to red oxide of mercury. He showed in the first place that this substance, mercurius precipitatus per se, was a true calx, 
by mixing it with charcoal powder in a retort and heating it. The mercury was reduced and abundance of carbonic acid gas was collected in an inverted glass jar standing in a water cistern into which the beak of the retort was plunged. On heating the red oxide of mercury by itself, it was reduced to the metallic state, though not so easily, and at the same time a gas was evolved which possessed the following properties. It did not combine with water by agitation. It did not precipitate lime water. It did not unite with fixed or volatile alkalis. It did not at all diminish their caustic quality. It would serve again for the calcination of metals. It was diminished like common air by addition of one-third of nitrous gas. It had none of the properties of carbonic acid gas. Far from being fatal, like that gas, to animals, it seemed on the contrary more proper for the purposes of respiration. Candles and burning bodies were not only extinguished by it, but burned with an enlarged flame in a very remarkable manner. The light they gave was much greater and clearer than in common air. He expresses his opinion that the same kind of air would be obtained by heating nitre without addition, and this opinion is founded on the fact that when nitre is detonated with charcoal, it gives out abundance of carbonic acid gas. Thus Lavoisier shows in this paper that the kind of air which unites with metals during their calcination is purer and fitter for combustion than common air. In short, it is the gas which Dr. Priestley had discovered in 1774, and which is now known by the name of oxygen gas. This memoir deserves a few animadversions. Dr. Priestley discovered oxygen gas in August 1774, and he informs us in his life that in the autumn of that year he went to Paris and exhibited to Lavoisier in his own laboratory the mode of obtaining oxygen gas by heating red oxide of mercury in a gun barrel, and the properties by which this gas is distinguished, indeed the very properties which Lavoisier himself enumerates in his paper. There can, therefore, be no doubt that Lavoisier was acquainted with oxygen gas in 1774, and that he owed his knowledge of it to Dr. Priestley. There is some uncertainty about the date of Lavoisier's paper. In the history of the Academy for 1775, it merely said about it, read at the Assumption, Rentrée, of the Academy on the 26th of April, by M. Lavoisier, without naming the year but it could not have been before 1775, because that is the year upon the volume of the memoirs. And besides, we know from the Journal de Physique, version 429, that 1775 was the year on which the paper of Lavoisier was read. Yet in the whole of this paper the name of Dr. Priestley never occurs, nor is the last hint given that he had already obtained oxygen gas by heating red oxide of mercury so far from it that it is obviously the intention of the author of the paper to induce his readers to infer that he himself was the discoverer of oxygen gas. For after describing the process by which oxygen gas was obtained by him, he says nothing further remained but to determine its nature. And I discovered with much surprise that it was not capable of combination with water by agitation, etc., 
Now, why the expression of surprise in describing phenomena which had been already shown? And why the omission of all mention of Dr. Priestley's name? I confess that this seems to me capable of no other explanation than a wish to claim for himself the discovery of oxygen gas, though he knew well that that discovery had been previously made by another. The next set of experiments made by Lavoisier to confirm or extend his theory was on the combustion of phosphorus and the nature of the acid which results from that combustion. It appeared in the memoirs of the Academy for 1777. The result of these experiments was very striking. When phosphorus is burnt in a given bulk of air in sufficient quantity, about four-fifths of the volume of the air disappears and unites itself with the phosphorus. The residual portion of the air is incapable of supporting combustion or maintaining animal life. Lavoisier gave it the name of Mouffet Atmospherique, and he describes several of its properties. The phosphorus, by combining with the portion of air which has disappeared, is converted into phosphoric acid which is deposited on the inside of the receiver in which the combustion is performed in the state of fine white flakes. One grain by this process is converted into two and a half grains of phosphoric acid. These observations led to the conclusion that atmospheric air is a mixture or compound of two distinct gases. The one, oxygen, is absorbed by burning phosphorus, the other, azote, not acted on by that principle, and not capable of uniting with or calcining metals. These conclusions had already been drawn by Scheele from similar experiments, but Lavoisier was ignorant of them. In the second part of this paper, Lavoisier describes the properties of phosphoric acid and gives an account of the salts which it forms with the different bases. The account of these salts is exceedingly imperfect, and it is remarkable that Lavoisier makes no distinction between phosphate of potash and phosphate of soda, though the different properties of these two salts are not a little striking. But these were not the investigations in which Lavoisier excelled. End of section 46. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com.